Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. And in this episode of Deconstructing the Bible, we're going to be talking about the Old Testament. And I want to do this from a fairly high level. And what I mean by high level, I don't mean we're going to be talking deep theology or some hard to understand concept. What I mean by a high level is I want us to kind of zoom out for a minute and pretend like we're looking down on the Old Testament from 30,000 feet. So, you know, instead of, you know, if you think of it like Google Earth, right, you can like zoom all the way in on your house and try to look at your backyard to see how it's doing and see what trees you got and that kind of thing. Or you could zoom out and kind of see the whole neighborhood or the whole country or the whole globe for that matter. And so in this episode, instead of diving into a singular passage and exploring it, what I want us to do is zoom out for a bit and look at the Old Testament. Now, the fact that I'm using the phrase Old Testament is potentially problematic, but it's probably the thing that we're most familiar with. And the reason is that we have learned about the Bible in a Christian context. And the Christian context has two testaments to it. It has the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament most uh, often being the primary vehicle that we understand Jesus the Christ, um, and the Old Testament being the vehicle through which we learn about the story of God's people, the Jewish people, the Israelites. And so I want to focus on that first story, the Old Testament. Now, if I was not a Christian and not speaking from a Christian context, I might actually use a different title for that part of the Bible. I would probably call it the Hebrew Scriptures because our Jewish brothers and sisters have the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, as their primary text. And so we share the same Bible. We share the same text. We share the Old Testament and the the Hebrew scriptures. And I think it's really important to recognize that Jesus also had the Hebrew scriptures. So when Jesus refers to the scriptures, he's referring to The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, he's not referring to what would come later with the Gospels and the letters and the epistles and all of that. that. What he was referring to was the Hebrew scriptures because Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi who would have learned and, and been taught the Hebrew scriptures from a very young age. And we even have, you know, it's talked about in the Bible that Jesus at a very young age had the, had wisdom kind of beyond his years and insight into the Hebrew scriptures that was, was kind of uncanny for someone his age, which is probably why he rose to some prominence as, as not simply someone who went around healing people, but as a rabbi, someone who had an, had a, a new or had a, had a dynamic teaching on the Hebrew scriptures. So here's what I want to focus on, though, for a moment today. Oftentimes in our English Bibles, if you were to look at the way that they are categorized, you would see the opening five chapters as the law. Uh, in, In the Hebrew scriptures, they would call it the Torah, right? And so that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are some of the, the, the foundational texts for how Israel came about and how they were developed 
as a nation as they left slavery in Egypt. They were in the wilderness and they made their way to Mount Sinai where God spoke to the people through Moses and they were given instructions about who they were and what it was, what they were supposed to be as a people. And so the Torah, the law, those first five books ground us in an understanding of who God intended the people of Israel to be. Now, what comes after that in the Old Testament, the the Christian Bible, is often understood to be the historical section. And so we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so those books of the Bible are often understood as the historical books. Like they're telling us the history of the people of Israel. And then after those books comes the wisdom literature, where we have the Psalms and the Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And so we have these, these books that are considered the wisdom literature of Israel. Like what, what, do they, what do they think about certain things? And these beautiful poems and these understandings of how God connects with the people. And so you have the wisdom literature. And then the last section of our Christian Old Testament is what's called the prophets. And you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then you have a bunch of minor prophets where you have people like Hosea and Joel and and uh, Amos and Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Daniel. So you have all of these minor prophets. And usually it, it, it kind of alludes to Um, somewhat of the length of the book, right? You have major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, really long books. And then you have these minor prophets, shorter books. And so there are many prophets that uh, form the last section of the Old Testament, leading to the New Testament. Now, here's an interesting key difference that I think we, we would be wise to point out. In the Hebrew Scriptures, if you were to ask a rabbi or a Jewish teacher how they divide up the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, they would say that there are not four sections, the law, the history, the wisdom literature, and the prophets. They would say there are only three sections, that there is the Torah, that there is the wisdom literature, and then there are the prophets. They don't actually have a historical section. And the reason why is that the things that we categorize as historical are actually found as part of the prophets. And it is most likely understood through scholarship that the historical narrative, so Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, those books were actually edited and compiled in exile under Babylon. And so if you look through Israelite history, they leave Egypt, they are in the wilderness, they get to the promised land, they become a prominent nation, they fall apart and squander what God had for them, they get divided into the north kingdom of the the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The Assyrians come in and they take over the ten northern tribes and they're essentially non-existent anymore, at least in their, their, their primacy. And then the Babylonians 
take captive the people of the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the nation of Judah. And so they take them into exile. And that's where we get the writings of, say, Daniel is really prominent because Daniel is writing stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel in exile in Babylon. And so while they are in exile, these people, they sit down and they start editing and composing and putting together their history. How did they go from a people that left the wilderness and got into the promised land? How did they go from the wilderness to becoming a great nation to now finding themselves in exile? And so they wrote all of this, not simply as a historical record, but as a prophetic endeavor. They wrote it to teach people what it means to be human, not simply to record human history. They wrote it so that people could learn from it, just like we would learn from the prophets, just like we would learn from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and and Amos and Micah. The idea here is that they are writing these and constructing these so that we could say, where is the critique going on? And where is the energy going on, right? Because that's what the prophets are always up to. They're criticizing and they're energizing. Walter Brueggemann is one of the best at at writing about the prophets. And his book, The Prophetic Imagination, is what I'm grounding this in, is the idea that there is a, a criticizing and an energizing that the prophets are always up to. They offer an honest critique of what the situation is, and then they provide a hopeful energy towards what things could be if God's people were in alignment and covenant with God. And so like the prophets of Isaiah and Amos and Micah and many others, the stories of David and Saul and Solomon and Samuel and Joshua and the stories of the judges, they're telling us something about what it means to be human, not simply human history. And so our job as Christians, I believe, is to ask ourselves, if Jesus saw these books as his sacred scriptures, and if his tradition understood them as prophetic, not just historical, then don't we have an obligation as well to look at them not just as something that recounts history for us, but as something that is teaching us what it means to be human. And so it's it's more than just asking the question, what happened to Israel under Solomon's rule? And we can look at it and say Solomon was very wise, but also Solomon made some choices that enslaved his own people, that in, that encouraged worship of false gods, and eventually God took the kingdom away from his son. And so we could ask the question, instead of just what happened to Solomon and his son, we could ask the question, what can we learn from how Solomon handled power? What can we learn about the way that Solomon went about building a nation, and what could we potentially do differently because of the wisdom of looking at this prophetically and not just historically. Because when we look at the history of Israel from a prophetic lens, we can actually look at it as a way of saying, ooh, there's something to be critiqued. There's something to be honest about. There's something that could humble us if we were to read it with that lens. And additionally, it's clear throughout the history of Israel, that there's an energy and a hopefulness 
of a people that have been covenanted to God. I just got done teaching a class at Bethel, and we were talking a little bit about the the King Josiah, who became king at eight years old. Eight years old, he became king after his grandfather Manasseh, who was one of the worst, meanest, most unkind, unhealthy kings in all of his, uh, Israelite history. And so after Manasseh, Josiah, eight years old, becomes king. And what does he do? He cleans out the temple and finds a copy of the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible. And he says, what are these? They've completely lost these books. And so he finds them. They tell him what it is. It's, oh, it's the kind of the ancient, you know, religious practices of our, of our ancestors. And he dusts it off and he reads the accounts of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and says, we've been wrong. We've gotten it all wrong. We need to get back to worshiping Yahweh. We need to get back to worshiping the God who delivers, the God who wants to covenant with us. And so Josiah builds and leads this revolution, this movement of getting back into covenantal relationship with Yahweh. I mean, if that's not a prophetic text, I don't know what is. If that's not a prophetic idea of how one person can be critical of what was and then energize towards what could be, I don't know what would be. And what is more important for us today than to be able to be people who are honest about the the, the society and the culture that we've created, honest about the systems that we've created, but not just honest and critical, but also hopeful about what could be about how there are there is possibility to do this in a way that honors people and lifts up their stories and helps them get opportunity to live to the fullest expression of who they are and to be seen and fully known by others and by God. And so, like the prophets, which include the history of Israel, what can we learn as we understand our own history? What can we understand as we dive into the Bible to prophetically learn from it, to be honest and critical, but also hopeful and energizing? So, I hope today provides you with a new lens through which to engage the Old Testament, that we don't have to just try to learn it as history, but we can ask better questions of it. We can ask questions about how is this being critical of the history that we're seeing, but also energizing towards a new and possible future, just like the prophets were doing throughout the scriptures. Thank you for joining us for Deconstructing the Bible. We look forward to having you join us again next time.